preparing our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for ministering to us, Lord, through that song, that music, Lord. And Father, I pray that our hearts might be ready to receive what you have for us. Lord, bless the study of your word as we look into it together, Father, and may we allow it to transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to Psalm 118. Turn to Psalm 118 this morning, and uh, we continue our study in the Psalms. And uh, this particular Psalm uh, is what's called, it's part of, or actually the last one that is known as the Egyptian Hallel Psalm. Chapters 113 through 118 are called the Egyptian Hallel Songs. And they they were songs that were sung, speaking many of, of the writers of the coming out of Egypt, and the freedom that God brought them, delivering Israel from. But we find here in this particular psalm some wonderful, wonderful uh, prophecies that are given and that we can see fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ as they are messianic psalms. And this particular passage will point us to a particular event that would come, and that, of course, is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. Now, that happened on Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. But uh, I felt the Lord led me to, to do a Palm Sunday sort of sermon now as, uh, and another one next week. And of course, Easter Sunday morning, uh, pretty much the message will be presented through the musical, the Easter musical. So this morning, I want you to see this, the uh, amazing prophecies that were fulfilled and then how it, how it relates to us this morning and how we can apply it to our lives. Now, this is a fairly long psalm. But I'm going to focus most of our study to this morning on the second half of the psalm, okay? So if you will, we're just going to go through some of the verses uh, fairly quickly and not spend time on them. But let's read first verses 1 through 9, if you will follow along in your Bibles. And by the way, this uh, psalm, we don't know who wrote it, but it is believed David did write it. Uh, because of Ezra chapter 3, uh, it was, this psalm was actually sung during the founding and the rebuilding of the second temple. And in that passage in Ezra, it speaks of the psalm being sung according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. So we believe this is most likely David's psalm. But here it is, 1 through 9. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. And if you have a King James Version, you have the word mercy in there. His mercy is everlasting. His loving kindness or mercy is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Uh, 
Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Does it sound repetitive to you? <laughs> yeah, no, notice the psalmist is really trying to get across a point in the first four verses. And what is that? Dear Christian, he wants us to know and praise him and understand the truth that his loving kindness, God's loving kindness, never ends. It never ends. It is forever and ever. It is everlasting. And I think so many times we get, we get through a, involved in a crisis in our life and then we, we, we start to break down. And then we begin to kind of, kind of just, we, we put our cocoon up, try and protect ourselves somehow, and we tend to forget that in the midst of our pain and suffering, that God's mercy never changed. That his loving kindness never changes towards you or towards me. And how easy it is for any one of us to turn to the Lord and, and kind of get angry, maybe, or upset at the way he's doing things, or why, Lord, did you allow this in my life? And suddenly we can't, we can't associate what we're going through with the everlasting loving kindness of God or the mercy of God. Oh, the psalmist is trying to drive it home that we should be focusing and always remembering, and he's speaking specifically to Israel here, remember his loving kindness, which is everlasting. And that's what he's praising the Lord for there. Then we pick it up at verse 5. From my distress, I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me. And he set me in a large place, for the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in in princes. There in verse 5, the psalmist speaks out of distress. He's speaking about the distress he's been in, but the Lord has brought him out of that distress. Notice it's already done, verse 5. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and then what? He answered me and set me in a large place. And I love he says there in verse 6, The Lord is for me, therefore I will not fear. Then he says it again in verse 7, The Lord is for me. So if the Lord is for me, he's basically saying, If the Lord is for me, why should I place my faith and trust in people? When was the last time that you can recall you put your faith in somebody that let you down? You put your faith in somebody that you thought was going to help you. You trusted them. And then all of a sudden, that trust disappeared. Maybe it was a betrayal. Maybe it was in a marriage relationship or in your job, in your work environment. 
at school, in the family, whatever it is, and suddenly there is that time of distress and you are, you, you, you're trying your best to, to get through it, but remembering that the Lord is for you, how often it is that we tend to put our trust in other people. We need other people. We need those who will support us in our trials. You know, notice verse 7, what he said there. The Lord is for me. Then he says, among those who help me. So he mentions his friends. He mentions those who are helping him. But he knows that the Lord is for his cause because the psalmist is for the cause of the Lord. And so here we see the psalmist saying, in my distress, where better to take refuge than in the Lord? And now look with me at verses 10 through 18. He goes on, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me, yes. They surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. Yeah, I know what that's all about. Oh, yeah, they surrounded me like bees. And they were extinguished as a fire of thorns. He, say, he repeats, throughout this psalm, he repeats certain, certain phrases and truths. In the name of the Lord, I shall surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. And here's a verse that we're all familiar with. Verse 14. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tent of the righteous, and the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. By the way, you won't hear any righteous singing or shouting in the tent of the ungodly. And you think of those who don't know the Lord. And they're facing their life, but they don't want anything to do with the Lord. But they are blind in heart. And therefore, there is no joy in their life. They can accumulate all kinds of stuff. They can have a good business. They can have a big bank account. They can have a, a, a large house. and You name it, they can have it. But yet when they go to bed at night, there's no joy in their heart. But you and I, we can just have a little tent as believers. We could be anywhere with nothing. And what's amazing is we can have the joy of the Lord. We experience joy in our salvation and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. There again, he repeats himself. And he's, again, he's giving the praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. And then he speaks here in the next two verses of the distress he was in to the point where he may have died. But then he says, verse 17, I shall not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me 
over to death. He has not given me over to death. How wonderful that is. He experienced an escape from death. And he knows that God had a purpose in sparing him. And what is that purpose? It is he to proclaim proclaim the works of the Lord, to tell of the works of the Lord there in verse 17. To let the world know who God is and how he can save and how he can deliver. But notice he also says in verse 17, the Lord has severely disciplined. If you have a King James Version, you have the word chastised. The Lord has chastised me severely, but has not given me over to death. Chastisement comes in different forms. And uh, as soon as we hear the word discipline, what do you think of? You think of mom and dad. Okay, time for spanking. Right? You, uh, you know, discipline. If you get out of line, we're disciplined as growing up. And you remember those occasions. And it helped you. It trained you. But God doesn't always bring discipline in the way of chastisement for sin. He will do that. If we continue to sin, there are consequences. And like a loving father would, God will allow certain things in our life to discipline us, to get us back into walking in his will. But there is the part of testing in our life, which is also also falls under the term discipline. Much, many of you who were in the army, in the military, you know what that's all about. When the sergeant told you, you know, do this, do that, move that sand pile over here, and you know, all kind of crazy things, and you would just get more and more upset at your commander, right? And, uh, and, and you didn't know why they would do it. Then, then how about those? I mean, I wasn't uh, privileged to be in the military, but I know that uh, many of you have told me your stories. And, uh, and the, my brother-in-law was a, a Marine, and uh, he used to tell me of the boot camp and, and the mile hikes, and they put everything they could possibly put on your back in those backpacks to carry. And, and they, they, many of them never, never made it back. They, they just uh, collapsed under it. But why? Why would the government allow such discipline, such terrible things to do to would-be soldiers? Can you imagine what they would be like on the battlefield if they had not been toughened up? If they had not been trained and disciplined so that they know what to do, they know when to do it, and they are strong when the the fire gets hot. See, that is what the Lord desires of you and me. In the crisis of our life, he's want, wanting to conform us, you and me, to the image of Jesus Christ. That we might be like him in every way. And just as our Savior suffered, and we're going to be seeing that this week as we go into Palm Sunday and the following week leading up to his cross and resurrection, we are going to see his suffering and oh, that we might keep our eyes upon him, 
the author and finisher of our finisher of our faith who ran the race before us and he ran it towards the cross with joy the writer of hebrews said and so here the psalmist is speaking of what he's going through a crisis where it almost took his life i don't know uh how many of you are campers a lot of you i know a bunch of you are okay uh how many of you are real campers? Yeah, okay. You know what I mean by that, right? Yeah, I'm not talking about the motorhome you hook up to the, <laughs> to the truck and you pull out there and living in style. You know what I mean? But, but no, I'm talking about the wilderness stuff. You know, people that, that have gone out there, man. Uh, and then you read stories in the news about uh, uh, this group disappeared in the snowbanks, you know, of Colorado or something, and uh, all this stuff. I, I happen to find in a, in a uh, thrift shop, and uh, we, 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 we like to uh, stop in there and, and try and find some, some uh, deals and things. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but uh, I found this thing. I'd never seen one before. It's called a storm and survival kit. Anyone ever see one of these before? Look, you haven't either. Yeah, it's still sealed. Okay. It says storm and survival kit for overnight emergency. And then it says underneath Sur survival is the challenge to stay alive. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Uh, and then this is what the kit contains. Okay. Uh, it contains matches. Now think of how you would use these if you were stranded out in the wilderness and you were in trouble and you had to survive. Matches, candle, sugar, salt, tea. How about that? Bullion, wire, whistle, paper, pencil, compass. That's a good one. Foil, knife, cord, poly bag, signal mirror, Plastic tube tarp and a survival brochure. That's pretty good, throwing a brochure. You know what I'm saying? You know, by the way, let me see. Are, are, are there any, how, how many, let me see. Again, raise your hands of the real campers again. Uh, hey, Skylar, would you come up here, buddy? Come here, pal. Uh, you're... Since you're a camper, you and your mom, I want to give this to you, buddy. All right? Thanks. It's yours to keep, okay? And g give me a hand. Didn't you do Hey. Now, the, o the only reason I'm, uh, the only way I'll let you keep it is if you never have to use it. Okay? But, but you take that with you on a camping trip. But guys, I'm sorry, guys. Um, I feel like I'm a, a men's Bible study all of a sudden. <laughs> but, um, ladies, uh, what is the Christian's survival kit? The psalmist is trying to tell us, but sometimes it's so hard. What do we put in our survival kit, like for tomorrow, when you have to survive something? If it's physical illness or anything else and, and something has just come crashing down on you and you feel like you're out in the wilderness, what is in your survival kit? 
Well, according to the psalmist, and we see through other psalms as well, there is pretty much three things that we need to make sure we have in our uh, survival kit. One is prayer. That you and I might always, first, above all else, is pray. That's what the psalmist is saying. I called upon the name of the Lord. I called upon the name of the Lord, and he delivered me. The old, God is waiting for we, his children, to call out in mercy and ask for mercy. And he will do it. Oh, he may not answer in the way we expect. There still might be pain and suffering, maybe even death. But he is with us through it all, and he will see us through. But we must call upon his name in prayer. Prayer is the first. Second is God's word. You have it right in your hand. The most important piece of your survival kit, of course, to hold in your hand is the word of God. This tells us how to survive because God has given us instruction on how to live and how, how to live through the deep waters and the fires and the testing. And then, of course, the third one in the survival kit is the Holy Spirit himself. That the Holy Spirit will take your prayers and bring them to the Lord when you can't even speak, when you're hurting so much. He will take your words and he'll take them to the Father. And then he will strengthen you by God's grace. He'll give you understanding of the scriptures and he'll help you through when nothing else will. Remember those three things for your survival kit when you leave here and, and say, am I missing one of those as I, as I go on? Talk about survival. Uh, these tornadoes in Mississippi. Uh, just unbelievable. Those of you who saw pictures of these, uh, the tornadoes went through Mississippi, particularly in little towns like Rolling Fork. Rolling Fork. Do we have a photo up there that should be coming up? Oh, it's, it's coming up. Um, I asked Greg to, if you could find something. To, there it is if you haven't seen it. Just, just happened. That's a town. Town of 2000. Rolling Fork, Mississippi. And the town is pretty much obliterated. Uh, this is the stuff, you know, and people, says, where, where, people say, where, where was God? Oh, he was there. He was there. Yes, some died. This is the world we live in. We live in a world that is cursed, full of heartache, pain, death, and destruction. This is the way it is now because of the curse of sin. One day this will all be lifted. But through the storms that God has under control, he does his work in the darkness, in the middle of the storm. I mean, this just blows your mind. Look how devastating. 170 miles of devastation. And I want to tell you this one story that I just read uh, concerning survival through this particular storm. Thank you, Greg. Derek Brady Jr. 
nine years old. He was interviewed by CNN. He said he tried to cover his seven-year-old sister, Kylie Carter, with his body as the tornado moved over their home. He had to dive into the bathtub as his mother pushed herself up against the bathroom door, trying to keep it closed. He described this sensation of feeling both pushed and pulled by the twister's force. Then Derek said, I was scared, but I was brave at the same time. Then he said, and I love this, he said, we had to say our own prayers in our heads. Normally they did it together as a family, but that's what they were doing. What did they do? They began to pray survival mode. Their house was destroyed and unrecognizable. But he said he was thankful his family was protected. God protected his family and they weren't injured. God spared them. A child's faith, a family's faith. Wanda Barfield, who was the grandmother of Derek and Kylie, said she was running around the devastated town Friday night and Saturday trying to account for loved ones. After the storm hit, she kept calling family members on their cell phones, but no one answered. She finally found her sister-in-law dead among the wreckage. Now, I want you to picture this. You find a loved one. You're looking for them. Some you find alive, but then you find one that's gone, that was killed in it. What should, would her response be here? Why, God? You would think there'd be such anger. Listen to what she said. She said her family is doing the best they can to survive. But she said this then. Our life is more important than anything else. You can get a job, money, cars, clothing, shoes. You can get all that. But then she says on CNN, but for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. What? Is she a lunatic? Is she out of her mind? To say such a thing? I'm sure the CNN reporter was like, whoa, can we cut that out of our... Yeah. But, you know, they, here it is. God's people are standing up suddenly in the midst of the storm, coming out of the storm. Many have lost lives, but there are going to be those that already have testimonies. And they are saying, whatever happens... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dear Christian, dear friend, this morning, in the crisis of your moment, whatever it is, would you say that today? Because perhaps you, your knees have been shaking and you've been nervous and, and, you don't, and, and you have no answers. 
Would you just turn to the Lord, call upon him, and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord no matter what happens. What a beautiful picture of God's grace holding up this dear family. And that's why we want to be able to help in any way we can with the churches that we will be hearing from down there in that area so that we can assist in, in however uh, we receive the news. Uh, because uh, I know that uh, Franklin Graham, what they do is they assess the damage, clear up major stuff, and then they, they ask for volunteer teams uh, to head down there. So now's not the time to run down there, but perhaps uh, later on. So be, let's continue to pray. But the psalmist, he almost died but he said, the Lord delivered me. And then verses 19 now through 29. Let's read this together. Open to me the gates of righteousness. And now we are getting to the prophetic side of the psalm. And remember, the psalmist doesn't know what he's writing exactly. The Lord's putting the thoughts into his mind what to write down. But these are prophetic of the, uh, of the coming Messiah, the day he would come and enter into Jerusalem. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. What is the gate of the Lord or the gates of righteousness? In Jerusalem, it's the eastern gate. I don't know how many of you have been to Israel, but I've had the opportunity on a number of occasions to go. And they won't let you near the eastern gate right now. Uh, you can't get close to it. But before they put up all the restrictions, I was there and I was able to go right up to the gate and touch it. And is able to pick, take a piece of the stone from the eastern gate home with me. I hope it didn't fall down when I took it. But I took took that piece just as a momentum because the eastern gate is the most important gate of all the gates in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the eastern gate that Jesus walked through or, or rode through that we're going to see in just a moment rode through when he had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The eastern gate was the gate that took you right into the temple and then what would happen the people would follow. So the high priest would go in that way and the people would follow into the temple area through the eastern gate. And we read about the eastern gate from other Old Testament uh, prophets who spoke of the eastern gate. What is going to happen in fu the future? When Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, and you and I are in heaven, the church is in heaven, and we return with Christ. The saints come back with Christ on his white horse. He destroys the Antichrist and the evil nations that are against him in the world. Then Jesus is going to land where? Does, you know where he's going to land first? On the Mount of Olives. You see it in the scriptures. He will land on the Mount of Olives and stand on the Mount of Olives. Then the Mount of Olives will split, split apart. And cause a valley. Do you know where the mountain, Mount of Olives is? It's directly opposite the eastern 
gate. And so he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. It's going to spread. It's going to make a path. And it's going to make a path right to the eastern gate. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to walk down that path. And he's going to walk through into the eastern gate into a rebuilt Jerusalem. However, he's going to do it. He's going to restore the city. And we're going to be with him and reign with him for a thousand years. That gate is still there. The eastern gate. But if you look at pictures of the eastern gate. Does anybody remember, notice something about it? It's all walled up. It's been walled up. It's not open anymore. Nobody can go through it. Why? Centuries ago, the Muslims knew of the prophecy of this Messiah, Jesus, of the Jews. He was going to come and come back through the eastern gate. So the Muslims decided, well, we'll stop that. Let's block up the eastern gate. And so they did that. And they put stones all filled it in, all with these heavy stones. And there it is. No one's been able to go through since. Not only that, but the Muslims decided, well, we, I know we'll do one other thing to keep this king out, this Jesus, if he returns. They put a Muslim graveyard in front of the gate, a cemetery. Muslim cemetery sitting right there. If you look at the pictures, you will see it. Because they said, there is no way he will desecrate a Muslim cemetery. He will not cross that. Do you think Jesus is going through that gate one day? Amen, he is. Thank you, Lord. He's coming. He's coming again. And I want you to turn to look. Let's read these verses then, the rest of these verses. And it speaks of the, the, the uh, preliminary when Jesus offered himself to the nation of Israel the first time. Verse 20, uh, verse 21. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me. Thou hast become my salvation. Key verse, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Remember that song? We sing that. That's where it comes from. And what he's speaking about when he says, this is the day the Lord has made. He's talking about the day, the, 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 uh, the stone, which is the, speaks of the Messiah to come. He will be rejected, but he will end up being the chief cornerstone. God will make him the chief cornerstone in that day. And then he's saying, that's the day uh, the Lord's made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25, O Lord, do save. We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Do send prosperity. Another key uh, prophecy. Verse 22 is a, a prophetic statement. Verse 26 is a prophetic statement. Look what it's, he says. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that verse. We're going to be turning to read it again in the New Testament. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I give thee thanks. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is ever 
everlasting. And now I want you to see where it ties in with our Lord Jesus Christ and <laughs> as prophecy fulfilled. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Let's go over to Matthew 21. And then we're going to have to wrap this up quickly here. Matthew 21, verse 1. And here, of course, is the story of the triumphal entry. <coughs> Verse 1, Matthew 21. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if, you, if anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And the two prophets that, that, that uh, prophesied this would happen, where the, the Messiah would ride in to Jerusalem on a donkey, and along with the donkey would bring the little colt. Okay, uh, that's Isaiah 62 and Zechariah chapter 9. You can look it up on your own. But here it is. Now, John is writing. Now this took, I'm sorry, Matthew's writing here. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> To the daughter of, of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, a foal of a beast of burden. So there is the pro one prophecy. And then verse 6, and the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed and brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I do need water. And here, here is suddenly... Exactly what we read, the prophecy written in Psalm 118. The people, what they begin to cry, begin to cry out. Hosanna to the son of David. Here it is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There it is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought this was the Messiah at that moment. They thought this Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied in Psalm 118 and everywhere else. And they said, here's the king. He's going he's to deliver us from Rome. He's going to save us. He's going to let us, you know, set us free. But how sad when they, they saw this Jesus allow himself to be arrested and then beaten, brought before the people. And they looked at the same king who they thought was going to set up his throne in 
in Jerusalem, which one day he will, as we talked about. But not now, because he had to lay down his life on the cross for the sins of the world. And so the people suddenly saw a beaten Jesus, torn, wearing a crown of thorns. And he was brought before the people. And Pilate would say, which one do you want? You want this man set free? I'll I'll let free one man. This Jesus, or here's the criminal Barabbas. You know, a thief, a robber. I'll give you one of these. And what did they cry? We want Barabbas. They wanted, that was going to be their king. And then what did they say to Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. And they turned on him. They rejected the Lord Jesus. And that was the moment, the stone that the, uh, again, that, that prophecy in Psalm 118 is the stone that the builder rejected. It's fulfilled here at the cross when the nation finally rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and they rejected him. And then, uh, then uh, there, the Lord Jesus himself refers to this uh, in uh, Mark chapter uh, 12. If you'll turn there real quick. Mark chapter 12. Mark 12. <clears throat> and uh, we won't read the, the first few verses are of the parable Jesus gives about the, the vineyard. And the man the, who comes and he gives a parable of a man who planted a vineyard, which is God. And then gives the vineyard over to servants, vine growers, who are the children of Israel, nation of Israel. Then the, the, the owner sends slaves to receive some of the produce, but the vine growers kill the slaves, every slave that the, that the owner sent. Of course, that's, that, those are the prophets. That, that refers to the prophets that went with the message to the, the Jewish nation, but they killed the prophets. And then finally, actually, then uh, <clears throat> the, the owner uh, decided finally to send his son. Look at verse 6. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, they will respect my son. And of course, this is referring to Jesus, the Son of God. But those vine growers, the Jews said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner, God the Father, of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Who are the others? It's the Gentiles, you and me, the Gentile believers. The gospel came to us. And then Jesus says here in verse 10 and 11, here it is, Psalm 118. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And after that statement, verse 12, and they were seeking to seize him. Yet they feared the multitude, for they understood 
that he spoke the parable against them, and so they left him and went away. My friends, don't be surprised when the world continues to reject your Savior. And they defile him. They spit upon his face today. They use his name in uh, blas- blasphemy to, uh, against God as a curse word, as profanity. And the Lord Jesus is still being killed today, as it were, by those out there who don't know him. But you and I have been given the gospel, the free gift, and we've been told how we can be saved. For you and the, we, we came to a place to recognize that Jesus Christ became the chief cornerstone. And for those of you who are builders, you know all about a cornerstone. In ancient times, the cornerstone was the first stone that was ever set in place to, to build, build a structure. And upon that stone, all the other stones were built. If that cornerstone was a little off, a little slightly off, and on an angle, the whole, play, the whole rest of the house would be off on an angle. But it was that chief cornerstone, the, the beginning, the foundation stone, which all the rest is built. And that's what he's saying here. That there is no other foundation, Paul said, that a man can lay except that which is what? Laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is your foundation. He is mine today. And let us go from here today. Rejoicing and praising God for what he's done for you and me in becoming our chief cornerstone. And though he's been rejected, God has placed him high above all others. His name is exalted above every other name. And we are going to one day see him face to face. My friends, don't get discouraged. Continue to go through the storm and remember to keep your eyes fixed Upon your cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will see you to to the other side. Let's pray together. As we bow in prayer this morning. The Lord may be speaking to your heart. It may be this morning your struggle with a crisis in your life. And you have not really called upon the name of the Lord. You have not used his survival kit. And you have not run to his word. Spent the time in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to bring peace and grace to your heart. If you've been trying to do it all on your own, dear Christian, would you say now, Lord, here I am. I'm laying my burden, my crisis into your hands. Father, you are my cornerstone. Lord Jesus, you are my cornerstone. Now, take me, for my my trust is in thee alone. Would you do that, Christian? Make that commitment. If there's sin in your life, Christian, you need to confess it now. If there's sin that you haven't dealt with, you need to deal with it today so that you could be walking rightly with the Lord and your heart is clean. But you can confess that sin now and he will forgive and cleanse. And dear friend, if you're here without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to accept him by faith at this very moment. 
Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took your place. If you would but open your heart to him now, he will come in and save you. He'll make you a new creation. He'll cleanse you from all your sin, forgive you of everything you've ever done, and he will call you his child forever and ever. And Jesus will enter your heart. Will you pray this prayer with me now if you're ready to make this decision? If you're ready to trust Christ to save you, Pray with me now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. And you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. And wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead. Lord Jesus, with heads still bowed, eyes closed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now saved. You've been born again spiritually. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the truth you have, sh- you have shown us this day. And Father, I pray that, Father, as we leave here, we might walk with the strength of the Holy Spirit. And with the power and might that you give, and with the joy of the Lord, with our eyes focused upon you, fixed upon our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for that cornerstone, that foundation upon which we stand, which will never be shaken. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.